Hi, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to the Who the Fuck podcast. Inquisitive, authentic, unapologetic. A safe space for self-exploration, questioning the status quo, and finding out who the fuck you are. Hey gang, it's Saturday, and we are here recording the first interview episode of the Who the Fuck podcast with my dear friend, Megan Bruce. Megan and I met just a little over two years ago, right before I moved out to Seattle. She was actually the first person that I met out in Seattle and the first friend that myself and my wife, Holly, made. So we are super excited to have her here today. And I'm gonna let Megan give a little intro of herself. Yeah, you know, it's funny because today we're we're talking about anxiety. And I was thinking when you said, okay, we're gonna start, you're gonna give an intro about yourself. <laughs> that, you know, that immediately gives me anxiety, right? Because I'm like, how do I summarize what I am in some sort of succinct form where people will, you know, I don't know, inherently understand something about me that is profound. Um, I don't know. But anyway, who I am. So <laughs> I don't know how to do that. But um, yeah, so I, I, like you, grew up on the East Coast um, from Pennsylvania originally. Um, I don't know if we've ever talked about where I'm from, but... I- Boiling Springs, yeah, correct? Yes, Boiling Springs. It sounds about as big as it is. It's, <laughs> yeah, like, do you think that that's a big town? No, no, it's not. There are actually no spot stoplights, um, but there are duck crossing signs. So that. that says something. It does. Holly comes from a one stoplight town, and oh, I think okay. that's small. Well, that's so that's bigger. That's big time. Yeah, you know that's. that's <laughs> this serious. is what happens when you live in Pennsylvania. If you're not in yeah. one of the uh, major metropolitan areas or the adjacent suburbs, mm-hmm. you're pretty much in the middle of nowhere. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like that whole um, what Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and then you know the rest of Alabama it. in between. Yeah, <laughs> is the is what they say about Pennsylvania. So that's that's where I grew up, and you know you just mentioned that I moved out to Seattle about three years ago now, which is kind of crazy. And really loving it out here on the West Coast. Came out for tech, as one does when they move to Seattle. Um, and now I work in uh, in tech. I work at VMware. And yeah. We were just talking about how maybe it wasn't the best idea to have <laughs> the two most anxious people that we each know um, <laughs> recording the first episode of a podcast yeah. talking about anxiety. Because everything about today has sort of been fueled by that. But... <laughs> I think That's true. if this was anybody else, I would just be sitting here freaking out by myself. It's nice to have company. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's nice to know that we're both freaking out. Yeah. I think it's very comforting to yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I thought it would be cool to talk a little bit about how we met. Yeah. That fateful day at Brave Horse Tavern. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's all thanks to our mutual friend. Jen and I used to work together until we moved on with our lives to bigger and better things. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pause for a moment and just go off on the fact that We're recording in my home studio right now, which Mm -hmm. is the guest room in my house slash office. And (laughs) if you can hear those sirens in the background, it probably won't be the only time. We do live in a city, and until I can find a soundproof co-working space, this is the breaks, baby. And we had talked about the fact that, you know, you were anxious about noises happening in the background, which is just real life, right? You can't control that. Yeah. Oh, Um, God. You know. If only. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And so immediately, as soon as you recorded your intro today, we had, you know, planes flying over and there's all this noise. But like, what are you supposed to do? That's yeah. that's just life. Yeah. And I mean, I have to imagine that 
plenty of other people deal with these same challenges because I'm pretty sure not everybody who's recording a podcast has mm-hmm. their own studio. Um, it would have been really cool, though, if I came over today and you had, like, a soundproof room. I'm not going to lie. If I owned the property, <laughs> it impressed. probably would have been set up. It would have. I would have been yeah, like, here's, here's, yeah. so, here's yeah. our recording booth now. Do you like this $10,000 investment I've made? But you, <laughs> I think what's interesting in, in talking about anxiety is you're almost, you like were skipping to the, the part where it's perfect already, but how, like this is the first podcast, right? So how could yes. this already be perfect in that place down the road where it's soundproof, there's no airplane, there you know, there's no someone walking by and coughing really loudly, which also happened. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, you know, like that you get there, right? But you, you can't just get there on day one. Yeah, that's true. And I appreciate that. Sometimes I need that reminder, as with most things in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm constantly expecting the best immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And we can get to that. Yeah. Yep. We are going to try to keep ourselves relatively in check, folks. Yeah, um, for we'll those try. of you who who don't know me, and for those of you who do, especially, I can talk with the best of them. That's why I'm trying to make a career out of it. A lot of times I don't remember to breathe. If you listen to my first episode, the five-minute little teaser, I don't think I breathed the entire time. So I'm trying mm-hmm. to work on that. It's, and It's important. It is an yeah. important thing. Just yeah. inhale, exhale every right. now and then, quietly it, away from the mic. <laughs> try it just try it see how it goes (sighs) um but I also think that one of the cool things about this is that we have the opportunity to talk about these things that impact our day-to-day lives so Mm -hmm. we're going to talk a bit about anxiety and and some other fun stuff today I don't know that anxiety is fun stuff (laughs) anxiety and fun fun stuff (laughs) right Um, yeah Yeah. as well as sometimes dovetailing with so (laughs) All of that to say. We yeah. appreciate you, Jen, um, <laughs> for so many reasons and, and mostly for introducing us. <laughs> and so when I told Jen that I was going to be interviewing out in Seattle, she mentioned that you lived out here. Mm-hmm. And as with, I think, most situations, you know, somebody tells you that they have a friend that lives somewhere and you're like, okay, cool. Like, I mean, it's good because I, I want to meet somebody in the environment where I'm going and I don't know anybody. And if we do decide to make a cross-country move, then I it would be great to know somebody. Mm-hmm. That being said, my expectations of you, <laughs> with ha- having no context, let's right, be clear, right, of just right. the scenario in and of itself, yeah. we're basically, okay, so I'm going to meet with this person and like maybe we'll have a drink and Mm -hmm. maybe we'll just once in a while see each other when we're around Seattle. You know, if we have trouble making friends, we can be like, hey, Megan, you want to hang out? (laughs) I feel like (laughs) the sad, like the sad last choice, (laughs) but we have nothing else to do. Let's call Megan. (laughs) Exactly. No, um, thank God that's not what it was though, right? Because it's, this is where it's like that hard part about making friends as an adult. Yeah, and. So going into an environment where somebody's like, it's kind of like a blind date. Yeah. And I don't know you, you don't know me, we're going to see what happens. When we met, we went out for a drink, as as one does when you don't know somebody and you're like, well, if this is completely uncomfortable, at least there's yeah. alcohol. Right. Or Yeah, exactly. So that helps. Or just that one drink and I drink it really fast and then I run away. From there, it really kind of just became our, most of our conversation is about what we wanted to talk about next anyhow, which is yeah. moving so far away from everything you, you kind of mm-hmm. know and love and also moving for an opportunity, doing it in a way that you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, you don't. And that's really hard when you have a lot of anxiety. I think 
for me, my situation was a little bit different from what yours was, which I'm sure you'll you'll get more into. But, you know, I had gone through a pretty bad breakup, was living in Philly and then was like, what the I mean, to your point of your podcast, what the fuck am I doing? Like, you know, I don't think I want to be in Philly anymore. That was kind of a good opportunity to figure out where to go. But I didn't know where to go. And I moved to New York for a year. And that year in New York was just really like I just did not feel like it was the right place for me. I felt very stifled. And I don't think I knew why at the time, but just the sort of, you know, New York will just kind of eat you alive if you're not really in it. Um, I have a hard time picturing you being in New York. Yeah. And and, and wanting to live there, let's put it that way, because I think that you... You're very eclectic and you have a lot of interest, so I think I could see why there's a draw for you. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy visiting, mm-hmm. but when I think about it from the standpoint of being there, living there, my brain is already going yeah. 9 million miles a minute. So I actually said to somebody, I think that Manhattan is a great representation of if my brain were a city. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> I can see that. There's just so much shit happening all the time. (laughs) And you're like, I don't know what to do with this. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, it it does. I felt to me it was exacerbating those feelings of anxiety. And then everybody's moving so fast and there are so many people. And it both felt really lonely. You know, New York, they always say this about New York, right? It feels lonely even though you're surrounded by people. Kind of like that. But then also I think I didn't know what I was doing there. And so just I don't know, so many people not having a lot of quiet space to figure things out. And then I remember visiting Seattle. My friends needed someone to house sit. So I came out for two weeks and I'd never been out here. And I got out here and I went to this place called the Bliddell Reserve on Bainbridge Island, which is this like beautiful nature preserve. It's like a two mile walk through these beautiful curated gardens. And just sitting there and there there was like, no one was around. It was totally peaceful. It was beautiful. There were like all these ducks in a pond. It was just one of those moments where I was like, I can't be in New York anymore. Like, and it felt like Seattle was a better place for me. Do you feel like when you when you were in New York that you were kind of struggling to find your identity in a way that you were not feeling obviously the way that you wanted to feel? But was mm-hmm. there something about yourself you wanted to drastically change? It's a good question. I think that. I wasn't sure uh, what was going on at the time. I guess looking back at it now, it just felt like something wasn't right. And I had a lot of anxiety about the state of my life being having turned 30 being while I was in New York that year and just being like, is this really the way I want to start this next decade of this place where, you know, I wasn't feeling sure about what I wanted to do with work. I wasn't feeling sure about where I was living. I felt like I was living with roommates and that you know, it wasn't something I had wanted to go back to. Uh, and so it just didn't feel good all year, but I didn't know how to fix it exactly. And I think when I visited Seattle, it felt like a better place for me. I don't know why it just felt like more me being out here and it, it still does. And I just thought, well, you know, let's just chase that feeling. And to some extent, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just going to go for it and, you know, shipped all of my stuff and put it in boxes and just move to Seattle with like five boxes and you know <laughs> here we are so that's crazy um, yeah. I, I mean I understand that feeling for sure I actually really didn't think it it would happen in my yeah. mind the chances were slim that I potentially would even get the job that I was interviewing for if it were to happen I felt 
like I would potentially have a really hard time saying no, but I also didn't know if I should say yes. And mind you, when these decisions were being made, I was unemployed for six months, um, which was also sort of insane because I had had an offer on the table for a job in Pennsylvania for a company I really wasn't that interested in. And having been unemployed for six months and being the bulk of the income in our household, I really should have just taken it in theory. And then, you know, I get this opportunity to interview out in Seattle on a complete whim, decide I'm going to take it. I figure worst case scenario, free trip to Seattle. I've never been. Why not? And the thing for me, even flying into Seattle, as we discussed, Mount Rainier being kind of that exclamation point is... It's just profound, right? And so... All the trees. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's just land. beautiful. And, mm-hmm. I, and the thing that I say to people is it's just this vast landscape and everything around you just is so accessible, even from a city. You know, I grew up in the suburbs. I, I'm comfortable in the burbs. It's fine. But it's also feels, to your point, I think I felt stifled in a different way. I felt homegrown and I kept insisting that I would never moved back to where I grew up. That happened. I mean, the recession happened. I moved back in with my parents for a year. Then I just kept bouncing around areas in Pennsylvania based on where my job was. And it never made me feel good. I mean, we lived in certain places that we liked, but I never felt like I could truly be myself because I was so entrenched in my own history that you don't realize until you leave how much you're identified by your your youth and the formation of yourself at the like in those really critical times in your life that when I came to Seattle and saw what it was like here and it felt so different and it felt so new and and Holly knows this I mean she she knows that I get excited about new places and new people and I'm I'm very easy to kind of convince that I want to do something will the novelty wear off was the question right and so are we going to make this massive move for something that might not feel right in its entirety. And And in two years, do you feel that the novelty has worn off? No. And we've had that conversation, right? Mm -hmm. It's been like, this is a good, this is a good question, right? Would we move back to the East Coast? And it is very hard for either of us to say yes, because there is something very magical about the Pacific Northwest. They call it PN Wonderland, right? Yeah. And so there is a sense of unique community here there is um, particularly because there are a lot of transplants you know we talked a little bit about how hard it is to make friends as an adult Mm -hmm. I actually think it's easier in Seattle probably than most places because almost everybody here is in their kind of 30s and 40s saying we just moved here from this other place and I don't know anybody does anybody want friends you want do you want to be friends yeah I found yeah I found people to be very willing to to engage and be friends yeah and I think that the Seattle freeze thing may or may not be true I haven't personally experienced it I mean if you know we're from the east coast too so I don't really understand <laughs> that you know like You're, they're uh, a lot meaner in New York yeah okay? what do you do like what what how are you what are you supposed to do walk down the street and like smile at people and say hi I mean I don't I don't do that naturally on the east coast and I don't expect people to do it here so I think people are friendlier here, actually. I I agree. And I think if you moved from maybe the South or the Midwest, it might be jarring. I could see that because there's not really this, you know, hospitality. Hey, how's it going? Small town feeling. But it's definitely, I think, a more close-knit city than other cities I've been to. And so 
when we moved out here, it was a big decision. It was, you know, I, I finally made this commitment and said, I think I want to do this. We, I mean, in true fashion of my neurotic nature, I made a pro-con list. <laughs> and the hardest thing was you're going to be moving away from pretty much everybody that you know and love. Yeah, which is really hard. And also for me on the con list, because I made one as well, it was earthquakes. Because I read that New Yorker article before I moved out here, and I was like, well, I'm not moving to Seattle. This is terrifying. I actually just had that conversation with my boss. I mean, you bet your ass that I bought an earthquake kit that is in our house. And I was like, should we have one on every floor and put it in the car as well? Like, I just, I will spend thousands of dollars making sure that every single scenario that could happen where there's an earthquake. Um, but of course you like be in the bathroom when it happens, right? And yeah. like, for some reason you won't be able to yeah, access yeah. And you're like, 75 yeah. earthquake kits. To oh, totally. Just always have it strapped to your person. Just strap it on exactly. yourself at all times. Yeah. yeah. Just like so bags of water just like constantly yeah. on yeah, you. Yeah, just, you know, anytime you never know. Yeah. You just never know. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really justifiable reason. The best yeah. thing I will, I will argue about Pennsylvania is relative, <laughs> relatively moderate weather conditions with the yeah. exception of blizzards, but then you just stay home and you don't do anything. Right, you know? Have some hot chocolate. Yeah. It's all, it's all You're good. You're right out, right yeah. out. So what do you think for you, aside from the earthquake uh, situation, was was the hardest part for you? Was it leaving people or was it something else? Because we had a bit different experience as well in that mm-hmm. you already had your job and you relocated to an office here for I the did. same company. Yeah. I was getting a new job. And also, I moved here with Holly, my wife, and you moved out here. You shipped your stuff. You yeah. were like, I'm doing this. This is my personal adventure. What was that like for you doing that alone? The hardest part, I think, about doing it alone is that, you know, I didn't have someone to kind of fall back on in terms of figuring out what to do do. So I guess what I mean by that is, you know, I didn't know anyone out here and I didn't really know exactly why I had moved out here, except it felt right. It felt more right than what I've been doing before. And so I was feeling a lot of anxiety about figuring out kind of what my place was out here. And, and I think the, the good thing that I did actually pretty quickly is try to get really involved with a lot of stuff. So I got involved, I started a volunteer project got involved with, uh, you know, the Mountaineers and started meeting people through that. And in that, in that process, I think I've been learning and I have learned a lot more about why I moved out here in retrospect and, and what the benefits have been for me. But I think there was a ton of anxiety. Do you feel like moving out here has helped you define more clearly who you are? Do you feel that you've experienced a shift in your not, I don't know if I want to say your personality, because I think at the core, I still feel very similar to who I am um, and have been most of my life. But I, I personally feel like a better version of myself, more yeah. authentic. And there's almost a little bit of tension between the anxiety and the risk, right? Um, yeah. It's a very significant risk-reward situation. Yeah. I think for me, you know, you had asked about, you know, whether this helped me define who I am better. And what I didn't realize that I felt stifled by in New York is, you know, and I felt this in Philly too, like on the weekends, I always wanted to go to a garden or be outside. And when I got out here, I was like, oh, I think I just really like being outside. Like I like nature. And it sort of helped me realize that about myself and get more involved in things that got me outside, which made me feel better and happier. And, you know, I started seeing a therapist too when I was, when I was out here, because I've always really struggled with, you know, anxiety and, and confidence has always been a big challenge for me. And I think part of moving out here, the thing that has been really good is I had to do it on my own. I had to figure it out. 
and that helped me build a lot of confidence and that plus you know going to therapy and getting some support with the anxiety issues that I was having I think has made a big difference and I know you're you're in therapy too and that's something that we we talk about a lot is like how much that's that's helped us yeah because you have noticeably become more confident in the two years that we've known each other Holly and I've talked about that and I I admire it because I think that what people fear about therapy is that they're possibly going to be judged or they're going to uncover things they don't want to uncover. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I have all those fears. I'm constantly anxious. <laughs> of course, I'm worried that somebody's judging me and that um, and then I'm going to discover shit about myself I don't want to know. Just so meta in therapy, right? Like, is my therapist judging me right now? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and and I think the other thing, too, that's that's really relevant about that, though, is that it's not a quick fix, right? The evolution that I've seen in you as an individual and even myself from my sessions is that it's sort of like if you've ever injured yourself and had to go to physical therapy, right? You, you feel like I've been doing this for a couple of weeks. It doesn't feel better. What the hell? Like I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. Why isn't it healing? (laughs) You know, why 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 am I not healing? Why am I not fixed? Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, your back pain's no longer there because you've been doing this so consistently and you're like, yeah. oh, you know what? I do notice the improvement. And, and yes. I think therapy's sort of like that where one day it just kind of hits you how much it's actually helping yep. to the point where when I'd been in therapy before, about four years ago, I didn't go regularly. I went I guess as needed as I thought, (laughs) Um, as I thought I needed. And in reality, what my therapist said to me when I started going here about this time last year actually was, uh, and that was long overdue, was the fact that if you're going to do this, you need to come every week because it needs to be consistent. She even said to me this week, and I was really proud of myself, which is a hard thing for me to say as somebody who also, I have have self-esteem issues, I'm anxious, I'm constantly fearing judgment and rejection. And, you know, I'm proud of myself for the work that I put in in therapy. I'm proud of the fact that I have a therapist who's telling me that she sees my hunger to grow and my desire to do things quickly and make changes for myself. And so when you spend a lot of your life living in a really anxious state, and by the way, something that I didn't even really have diagnosed as an anxiety disorder until a few years ago anyhow you live your life a lot of the time thinking that that's what it just is and that's what your life is like and probably that other people feel this way too or maybe that nobody feels this way and you're feeling for lack of better term a little bit crazy right Right. and and I get I get very obsessive when I'm anxious about things I obsessively think about things I actually think you and I bonded over this right because you have a similar problem yeah I don't as much now but thank god because it's terrible exactly yeah so it's to that point right you can evolve away from that once you figure out what the right mechanisms are to get you into the headspace which you mentioned you know being out in nature it's really important to be able to kind of be in your environment like that Mm -hmm. and I think that really helps me feel present I love going having the water here living in a landlocked state most of my life it it really changes things for you because there's a very significant catharsis with sitting on a beach with my feet in the sand having a bonfire watching the sunset I mean we've been doing that constantly yeah you have been doing that a lot and it and it feels great because you just kind of let the world around you be what it is and take yourself out of your head. Yes, that's what it is for me. It's like, it's stopping that 
that constant thinking because I to your point I always wondered like do other people think as much as I think like I'm so (laughs) curious because I'm always thinking and a lot of what we you know we've been talking about in therapy is like it feels like a loop and sometimes the you know I get stuck in the loop and I can't stop thinking about like this thing I said and I should have said it differently and we've been working a lot on stopping the loop that's really that's really catching it when you're doing that yeah Yeah. I really like that because it actually is exactly a conversation that I was having with Holly yesterday when we were talking about recording this I said I started writing my blog almost a year ago well I wanted to do it as a creative outlet to begin with and I wasn't really worried about marketing it. I just wanted to have a place where I could go and and feel the things I'm feeling and put it out there so I could destigmatize things like anxiety and and talk about real shit that people need to talk about and talk about who the fuck I am because mm-hmm. I I don't totally know that and I'm trying to figure it out. Who, and, and who and, does? Like, right. Who does know that? And we're constantly evolving. So mm-hmm. who the fuck I am today is going to be different. Are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I said to her with writing, at least you have a little bit more control over it. Like I can edit this podcast if I want to, but I've still said the things that I've said. With writing you're so much more intentional. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to nitpick until I feel like it's right and I can put it out there. Now, sometimes I put stuff out there and I'm like, I don't think I love it, but it is what it is. And sometimes you just need to be happy with an 80%, which is hard also because <laughs> perfectionism is, yes. is, is one it's of the really, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, really challenging pieces of it too. But, you know, with something like this, this is raw. This is real. You guys are getting an unfiltered version of Megan and myself. And for better or for worse, that's really scary. It it, it brings about that sense of confidence that you're worried about. Well, people like hearing what I have to say. Is what I'm saying important? Do you think this is valuable? And for me, the whole point in doing this is to connect with people. And Mm -hmm. so how do I navigate this really intense anxiety about my fear of rejection and then put myself out there like this for whoever wants to listen to it, have to promote it, say, listen to me, even though I'm so fucking fearful that people are going to hate it and then be like, you know what? But if they hate it, they hate it. And that's okay. And that's okay. And you can't fix that. You don't need to fix that because no one, it doesn't really matter, right? Like no one is always going to be perfectly okay. And that's definitely something I struggle with too, is I try to be have historically tried to be very like Switzerland with everything that I say to the point where I started feeling like, what is my actual opinion on things? Because I'm so afraid to be like, you know, this is how I feel about this candidate. This is how I feel about this issue. Because someone might say, I disagree. As if that's a bad thing. Right. And I've done a lot of reframing with my therapist to be like, well, does it matter if someone thinks something differently from you? Like, does that make you bad or worse or wrong or wrong <laughs> or and you know so yeah it's, that's so it's that, hard. that's really interesting um well I have a question about reframing but I also mm-hmm. wanted to touch on that because I had listened to I think it was I think it was a TED talk on NPR or one of the like TED talk radio hours or something along those lines I can't remember which but I know it was in that vicinity yeah um and the woman who was on the podcast had said the things that we don't, and and I'm paraphrasing here, but the things that we don't want to talk about that make people uncomfortable are the things that we should be talking about. Yeah. Because if we don't talk about them, then we do stay very kind of monolithic in our thought process. And we can be very siloed to thinking the things that we 
believe or know are going to be correct or even if they're not correct that we're just they're so founded in our brains that it's hard for us to grow away from that belief whatever that may be and so how do you have those hard conversations and be willing to know that you might not agree with somebody in fact you might vehemently disagree with somebody yeah but it's okay to talk about that and that anxiety has about like well well saying this makes somebody not like me will saying this offend somebody or um or sound stupid or whatever it might be wherever that anxiety is living you know when as soon as you kind of relinquish that need then you become a lot more authentic and comfortable and you can have a controversial conversation where both of you come out of it saying, I still believe what I believe, right. but I'm more informed about your opinion, which may also help inform my opinion. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of it stemmed from, or maybe, maybe this is a hypothesis. Maybe it stems also from the way that you were raised. Cause I was raised in a, in a household where, you know, I feel like there was a lot of, we didn't debate things as a family. We didn't even, we didn't talk about stuff really. It was just, you know, I don't know. We never we never talked about things, and I think I was always kind of told to be quiet and to be very. I mean, we're getting pretty personal now, but you know, growing up, it was like we would get kind of yelled at if we talked too loud or we sneezed or like we <laughs> did anything as really you know relating to existing as normal children who make noises. Well, it's conditioning in that way too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's and, and scientifically, I've read that you know zero through six are most formative years are what ultimately define us as an adult. And the crazy thing about therapy, right, is that this is the shit for me right now. Mm -hmm. And I feel very potentially similar things are happening for you from other conversations we've had is you're sitting there kind of replaying in your mind things like what you've just said, which is deeply personal. And it's not to place blame, but you're trying to figure out why you are the way you are. Why I am the way I am, exactly. And if you don't want to be that way, how do you change that? Because similarly, like I have very reactive anger issues and hmm. i i did not know that about you because <laughs> i've never gotten mad at you yeah okay <laughs> um <laughs> holly and my parents will have different opinions on that um but it's something to your point that you know i've worked on a lot in therapy i mean it's not all the time it's not like i'm just a constantly angry person i, I the way i've described it is I don't have a short fuse. Mm-hmm. I have a long fuse that as soon as it's lit, it's like it goes down in a second. Okay. And so it kind of becomes this boiling over component. And and I've seen that in my dad um, where, you know, a ton of things are stressing him out when I'm a kid. And then all of a sudden an egg cracks wrong on Sunday when he's making us breakfast and it's the end of the world. Yeah, the world. It's not to sit there and, and place blame, but you see your environment around you a lot more clearly as an adult. Oh, it's um, so true. And be to be able to reflect on that and ask yourself the hard questions and investigate that a little bit. Like that for me is where you have that need to surface these things in many cases to be able to conquer that anxiety, to, yeah. to ask yourself, you know, why do I feel like I can't challenge somebody on this? Why do right. I feel like I shouldn't say that right now? And what's the worst thing that happens if I do say it or if they react poorly or whatever it might be? I mean, do you have a feeling on that? Yeah, I mean, definitely. And I think thinking back, because I've absolutely been trying to figure out why am I the way that I am? Because I feel like in order to fix it, I have to, for me, it just feels like I have to understand where it came from in the first place. Otherwise, it feels like it's not fully fixed. Well, it's a root cause thing, right? So it's like you can't 
you don't want to fix the symptom. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think I've been seeing my childhood more clearly um, because therapy, as you said, brings all that shit back. And it's like, it's terrible. It's terrible, <laughs> but, it, but it helps. It yeah. helps because it's like, okay, well, you know, my mom was pretty depressed and my dad, uh, you know, was an alcoholic. And so when you exist in that space, um, you know, and then my brother had uh, so many issues and you're just like the person who needs to always be fine and good and perfect, you know? And so if there's an, an, an imbalance, I want to fix that because I don't want to get yelled at. I don't want it to be bad or, hard, or scary. And, um, and it's, and it's not to say that anything horrible happened in my childhood, but just that I always had to be that sort of like good person in the middle. And, and you're not really rewarded for that in adulthood, right? Like you yeah. should have strong opinions. You should have passions. And, um, and through therapy, I think I've been realizing, you know, to how to be that person and how it's okay to have dis- disagreements with people and it doesn't, it's not a bad thing. Yeah. It's, it was a bad thing when I was younger, you know? Yeah, I, I totally understand that. And I think that it's a really, um, it's interesting to hear your perspective on that because it it really rings true to me as well. Um, different circumstances growing up and, and at the same time, I am looking through myself in a very similar sorry looking at myself through a very similar lens Mm -hmm. and kind of seeing the ways that certain behaviors were reinforced or um kind of poorly established as a result of the the way that I was parented and that's not to say you know this is how I always feel in therapy too it's like but let me defend my parents because they're not horrible people right like you don't want you don't want to you don't want to place all this blame on them because guess what this is actually what we were talking about when we were we took a pause for a second to to record and we were saying it's not um it's not to place blame you you want to understand it because generational trauma and mm-hmm. and the ability to pass stress and and right. and like i don't want to carry cycle that forward exactly. i don't i don't want to have kids and carry that forward it needs to stop now like yeah. i need to i need to be better than that and yeah. that's what you know they didn't do that work necessarily to figure that out yeah because they had so much so much happened to them too that informed the way that they were and there were so many they were just trying to figure out parenthood as anyone is but I don't want to bring that forward I want it just to stop you know yeah and I think that that's that's the right mentality to have and I, and I pay a lot of attention to that these days too which is trying to be cognizant of how you move forward with yourself after mm-hmm. you have these revelations and also how do you move forward with your relationships with people where you you feel a bit defined by their action or inaction in situations like that and with your parents it's especially hard any family member really because I mean that's a that's a lifelong connection whether or not you have a relationship with them there's an impact and at the same time we are our own people and we need to own that individuality Mm -hmm. and I think that what I've really been impressed by with the work that you've done is you are just visibly stronger to me and that you have more of a stance and you're willing to be a bit more blunt in your communication (laughs) style which which I like and it's really part of the reason that I've been saying to you like I'm so glad that you're here and I'm so glad you're my first guest on this podcast because I mean you just went right into it and and you're not afraid to talk about it and you are doing the right things to help people like ourselves Mm -hmm. really hear the value of the work that can be done and it I I said to one of my friends the other day I'm not trying to sound like I'm in a therapy cult but (laughs) 
Right. <laughs> but but I do and but I do really feel like as much as it fucking sucks and it sucks, okay guys? Like therapy is the fucking worst and I say this to my therapist on a recurring basis. <laughs> However, I also thank her. It forces you to deal with your shit. Very regularly because you all of a sudden have a moment whether it's like you're crying on this couch and you're like, what the fuck? Where did this even come from? Why am I feeling this way? To then, you know, looking at it maybe 24 hours later and being able to say, okay, now that I've named this, I can do something about it. Right. And I actually really think that reducing anxiety is contingent on you gaining back control of who you fully want to be. And I think that in this world, you had mentioned being in New York felt stifling. And I think sometimes in this world, just in general, it can feel stifling. We're so afraid to be who we are because we're worried about what somebody will think of us. We're worried about if we say something, how will they interpret that? And everybody can be offended and everybody can have an opinion. Anybody can hate you, Mm -hmm. but If you're authentically yourself and you're a genuinely good person, because I think that's the caveat, right? Like, if you're authentically yourself and you're an asshole, well, fuck you. Like, I just, like, go away. I mean, I don't really need you in my life. Like, what's the point? Right. But if you have valuable opinions and you want to share those and those are controversial, do that. Mm -hmm. Do, Do everything that you do with the good intention of bringing some value to the world. And... If that can't happen, that's when you really need to start evaluating yourself if you have the capacity to do it. And that's why we do need to destigmatize mental health and having conversations about anxiety. Anxiety is so common now and people don't want to admit that they have um, a diagnosed disorder. I, I hate even calling them these things because it's like, we talk about mental illness Mm -hmm. and the conversation that I want to have is about mental wellness. Mm -hmm. And, Oh, I love that. And Holly and I have had a conversation pretty recently about the fact we go to the doctor and we get physical exams every so often. And they tell you, here's what you need to do differently. Get your blood work, do this, do that. We're going to figure all this stuff out. We don't question that. We just do it because that's what we think we should do. Because with your physical body, it's things that you can a lot of times visibly see or very right. palpably feel right. like in your actual like sensation of There's feeling a problem that yeah. can be clearly identified yeah. and seen yeah and, and exactly and seen and so people talk about this being invisible and mm-hmm. it's interesting because as somebody with really palpable anxiety it's anything but invisible to me right you said it's like you have all of these thoughts and <laughs> as somebody with anxiety and ADHD it's like every single thought that i have has nine other residual thoughts. <laughs> I, it's a really hard place to live when you're in your head like that. Yeah. And it does feel really isolating sometimes to be able to talk about it with you now and to help people identify how they can become more comfortable talking about it mm-hmm. is really important to me because there's not always somebody that you can talk to about it. If and if you do and even if you don't have a therapist, right? Like, are you struggling in silence by yourself? And I did that for years. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I've, I've really didn't know until I was an adult, how bad my anxiety was because I thought it was just how I am. Yeah, Same. I thought it was just the way that I was. And it really is empowering to be able to say it's a part of who I am, but Mm -hmm. I can reconfigure that. Yeah. Yep. And that's, you talked about, we talked about reframing earlier, and that's a lot of what the work that I've been doing, which is 
my natural inclination, as I found out, was it, it's just very black or white. Like the world is black or white. I'm you glad know, you everything's back really to bad. Reframing, by the way, because you just yeah. I was like, oh, I'm going to ask you a question about that, and it's like, <laughs> nope, you didn't. But here, I'll get back to it anyway. So thank you. <laughs> I kept it in mind. I, I know. I appreciate that. Um, I got you. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, but it's but it's very black. It was always black or white. It was like this either has to go really well or it went horribly. This you know I feel terrible or I feel amazing. Like it just you know, and if I don't feel one of those things, then how do I? it just I saw the world in this very black and white lens which is such a classic anxiety disorder kind of thing and I I I don't have um I don't take medication or anything like that and so therapy has been sort of the way that I've been managing it and it's helped so much because what we work on a lot is just does it have to be this way isn't there another way that you could look at this and it's changed my thinking to be a lot more positive where and I think that's probably what you've noticed is like I don't look at things as negatively. I don't take things as seriously as I used to take them. And maybe that's getting older too, but it's just helping so much to not, if something goes wrong at work, I don't dwell on it anymore and think that I'm a terrible person like I used to. Like, oh, I suck, I'm terrible. I should just quit my job and like do something else. Yeah. I mean, literally used to have those like dramatic thoughts when I did, you know, a presentation that didn't go well. And now it's like, okay, what did I learn from that? Cool, I'll apply that next time. And that kind of thinking has taken a lot of work to get to that point. Like I could not have gotten there on my own. I, yeah. I really believe I needed needed help to start reframing that those thoughts. That's so that's so great. I mean, I'm I'm really proud of you, and I'm I'm excited for you that that is the change that you've been able to see. And I think it is really important to find the right ways to navigate it. And I know that a lot of people their big concern with talking to somebody is, you know, well, how am I going to find the right person? And and mm, that takes a while. Yeah, and they're not yeah. going to understand me. I mean, hey, listen, your first session you might not like your therapist try again and I'm sorry it it sucks that you have to keep re-talking about things that you already don't want to talk about but at the same point in time if you want to do the right work and heal the way you need to heal and grow the way you want to grow then you do have to put in enough effort for that and the way that you're speaking about reframing your mind and, and thinking about you know these alternative ways that things could go very similar for me as well which is just kind of this you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop. What's going to happen? Yes. And, and, and always how, thinking something bad's going to happen. Yeah, and how am I going to get through that? And, and you know, for me as well, I actually very recently have been shifting my mindset to a more positive outlook. And That's awesome. I think I always believed that it was kind of bullshit. Like you mm-hmm. reframe your mind and mm-hmm. then everything will just kind of work itself out. I mean, that's not to say it will every single time. I think, you know, this is the world and, and things just blow up sometimes in your face, but. And it's a practice, it's an ongoing thing. It is, and that's exactly yeah. the point, right? I think that's a really great comment is, it's about consistency. Mm-hmm. It's about consistency in doing the work, whether you are or not going to therapy. It's about consistency with taking medication if you are or not taking, or sorry, if you are taking, if you're not taking it, don't. Um, that's the consistent thing, just don't have any. Don't uh, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and that's like the thing too, is I mean, I was really apprehensive to go on any sort of medication. I mean, we live in Seattle, so I'll just say it. Like I'm a fan of using cannabis to help with my anxiety. I don't drink anymore. I haven't had a drink in two and a half months because I I realized I'm just exacerbating my anxiety. I'm making myself sick because I just can't handle it anymore. On top of it, I don't feel good. Like, why am I doing this? I'm putting social yeah. pressure on myself to have in it, to be in an environment with people and, and engage with them when I can do this right now when we're not drinking. Yeah, uh, and, yeah, yeah. And good for you for recognizing and, that. 
and at the same time, you know, cannabis isn't really something that I can do on a day-to-day basis and then go function and work and be in a professional world. The good thing about it being legal is that you can kind of define how it is that you want to feel with whatever it is that you're you're taking so you have a better sense of that. Like you're not just going to be like super fucked up going into work, but at the same point in time, the last few months if anybody's read my blog have been just like an extreme shit show for us. And so right before kind of all of the turbulent events occurred over the past several months, I had started on anxiety medication and it's a pretty low dose. I was really apprehensive. I explained my apprehension to my doctor and it was like, you know what, if it doesn't work, then you don't have to use it, but just try it because it'll probably help take a little bit of the edge off. And it really allowed me to continue to work and function and do the things that I needed to do on a daily basis. I've seen a big change. Thank you. Um, I I mean, and it's, and I think that's in conjunction with therapy, right? Mm -hmm. Because I don't think for me, one or the other would really just do the trick. And, And the good thing about medication is that you don't always have to be on it. You can be on it for a little bit and then realize that, okay, you've come up with the right coping mechanisms. You no longer have to do this. And as much as having this conversation about let's not have a stigma around anxiety and therapy, it is also medication can help. And if it's right for you and it's doing something that will help you positively change your life, then don't be afraid to ask about it. Don't be afraid to try it, but be responsible with any of the decisions that you make and understand that it can't be a solution to your problems it yeah. is something to augment the work that you will do yourself. Yeah. No amount yeah. of medication will change the fact that you haven't dealt with your shit. Yeah, and and I would echo that by saying my my mom is on antidepressants and has been for a long time. And while I think it helped her, uh, she did not. She doesn't go to therapy and sort of hasn't done, in my opinion, the work that maybe she needs to do to to deal with a lot of the things that she's gone through and a lot of the trauma that she's gone through. But um, it, and I think that's that's super important because for me, therapy has been working. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm like grateful for that because I don't feel the need to take medication because I actually feel a lot better. Uh, but it's different for everyone. Yeah. And, you know, you have, to, you have to figure out what works for you. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you one question to close this out. Actually, I'll ask you two questions. This is going to go back to the first part of our conversation a little bit. Mm-hmm. What would you say is your favorite thing about having moved to Seattle? Oh, favorite thing about moving here. Um, There's so many things I like about Seattle, but I think I'm just very happy with where my life is right now and the life that Seattle has enabled me to have. Uh, And really just, I think so much of that has been being able to get outside more and just have space and, and a room to think and be and feel freer to kind of be myself out here I think that's probably what I like the most about it that seems kind of like a weird answer but it's hard to describe it just feels like the right place for me like and, it's visceral. and a lot of good things have happened and I think looking back at my life in three years the life I've been able to build out here I feel really proud of it I feel like proud of the work that I've done to become a, a better person while I've been out here I love that that's a really great way, I think, um, to, to kind of wrap this up. And my last question to you is, mm-hmm. since we just were closing the conversation around therapy and, and dealing with anxiety as it relates to things like big life changes, moves, jobs, relationships, if you had to say one thing 
to somebody who might be questioning if they should talk to somebody about their anxiety or depression or any sort of mental health thing that they're dealing with, what what would you say? You just have to take that step and start doing it. Because I think for a long time, I thought I could just deal with it on my own. And then there would just be so many setbacks where, you know, I would call my mom and I would be so upset, like crying about something that happened that I would feel fine until I wasn't fine. And then in those moments when you're not fine is really when you need to talk to someone. But if you don't have someone there to talk to, it can just kind of spiral. And so for me, it was just taking that final step for myself and being like, I have to find someone that I can talk to and start working on these things because they're not getting fixed on my own. And just acknowledging that reality, like I've only, I don't think I'm going to be able to fix this on my own and yeah. just being honest about it. And the other thing that was really useful and probably not all your listeners are in Seattle, but there's this really cool thing here called Women's Therapy Referral Service, which is what I used. And you've, you effectively sort of like date therapists. I love it. It's, yeah, it's really, it's such a great model because to your point, it is hard. And, you know, you might start working with someone and it's not the right person. And that's definitely happened to me. And it's uncomfortable because you have to make that decision. Like, it's no. personal. Yeah. <laughs> you have to make that. Yeah. And, and then you, you know, I have anxiety about like people pleasing. Yeah. Um, and then you have to be like, I don't want to see you anymore. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> uh, this is working. But, um, but so women's therapy referral service, you know, you basically sort of like date a couple therapists and then you decide who you want to move forward with. And that was a great kind of entry point too. Cause I felt like, God, I'm going to have to figure out who the right person is. It's going to take all this work. Yeah. And that, helped remove that barrier for me so it made it even easier which that's, was good that's awesome um and that sounds like a really great resource so i'll get the website from you and then mm-hmm. put that in our link so then people can see if they're interested and they're out in seattle if you're not maybe there's something akin to that in your, in your locale so mm-hmm. um well megan thank you so much for joining me today this has been such yeah, an awesome experience for me i know i'm thank you for letting me be the first guest of course um, i feel honored it's been really great Thank you. And so if you like what you're hearing, visit whothefck.com and give us your email. Also check us out on Spotify. We're getting ready to get loaded onto Stitcher and also anchor.fm. So you'll see all the links in my Instagram profile shortly and anywhere else that you might follow me. Thanks so much for listening, guys, and have a great weekend. 